0: There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal.
1: Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover-to-Cover Series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments.
0: God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And Lord, just again, as we have been looking through this book, would right now we not allow ourselves to be distracted for our minds to to wander about. But Lord, even right now, as we start on that, that chapter and that verse, as we've read week after week about your atoning blood and that there is atonement, forgiveness, there is life in the blood. And so, Father, as we read through these passages today, Would just your love wash over us? In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So, again, when we covered those five chapters, we were looking at five offerings, and you're actually going to see some of that just for you guys' own knowledge as you go through and you're reading through the book of Leviticus. Uh, chapters six through seven are going to kind of repeat the same offerings, but it does it from a completely different view. It's not from the offer, it's from the priest, and we'll, and we'll get there. Uh, but again, just to kind of recap what we looked at is the first offering uh, that we saw was the burnt offering. And again, this burnt offering was to come before, it was a place of understanding that God is God and we are not. That God is holy. And so they would come before with this burnt offering to say, Lord, I want to say that everything that I have is yours. I I am giving everything up to you. I want to come from that place of that that fearful understanding that you are God and I just want to be close to you. And so already from Proverbs, we're told that again, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And so even as we get through today's kind of passage and and look through these chapters, I want you guys to understand as we're going through this, and we today speak of things like the boldness to come before God. That is completely foreign to these people. So when Christians were coming around saying, you can come boldly before God, they're going, okay, are we talking about the same God? Because it starts off here, they're going, no, 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 there, there's, there was a fearful understanding, no, he's holy, and I'm not. And even if I think I've done everything, what if, what, what if I, I've got that thing that's just off, and it could end up getting me completely wiped out. And so that's what the burnt offering was. The burnt offering was that starting place to say, God, I, I am laying it all before you. And again, as we understand that, as this coming into the presence of God, it starts with something of a free will. And that's, that's very intentional, that all of that communicated, that these were free will offerings. Jesus saying, I want to come into the presence of God, and God says, I have a means by which that can happen. And so this was a free will choice. And when we say, as, as Jesus himself said, that he did not come to abolish the law, but came to fulfill the law, that right from the very beginning, this burnt offering was Christ of a free will saying, not my will, but your will be done, and I give myself fully. A burnt offering, fully consecrated, by which there is entrance into the very presence of God. Then we looked at the grain offering, and that grain offering, speaking of it would come before God, and again, and we'll kind of touch on this a couple times today, but this idea that unlike all these other world religions around them, they had to provide food for sustenance and, and pleasure to their gods. Well, this is quite the opposite. This grain offering wasn't to try and appease God. It was a thanksgiving. It It was to come before him and say, I understand that everything that I have, all work that I can do of my own, is actually given from you. That you are the giver of all good things. And so even the work of my hands, it's not my own. I've simply been able to cultivate what you have given me. And again, the perfect expression of that, again, Christ fulfilling as he came as that manna from heaven, the bread of life to say that he has come to give life as that is what God is. He is the God of the living. Again, we saw the peace offering and as we looked at the peace offering, please again understand that even within this, these first three free will offerings, that this peace offering, again, I, I think because we look at rituals and, and other cults, and, and we, we look at these ideas of what they had to go through. And so when we think peace offering, we're like, oh, okay, I get it. I had to, I had to sacrifice this animal so me and God could be at peace. And again, that's actually not what this was. This peace offering was not, okay, God, I'm making peace with you. No, it was actually coming to give thanksgiving for the peace that he provided. It was to look at your life and go, you have made a way for me to be in your presence. You have given me the works of my hands in in production. And God, I just want to come before you and I just want to say, thank you for the peace that you give me. That Jesus later would pick up and say, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, but as I give that peace that passes all understanding. And again, what was so amazing about this peace offering is that it was a communal meal. It was where you sat down with the priest and you guys sat down and you shared a meal together. So the peace was even within the family. It was to say, man, the family's at peace. You would sit down with the priest, someone who was usually somewhat at a distance and you guys would share a meal together and say, isn't God good that he could bring us together when we had this? And again, as you looked at the anatomy as it went through of this peace offering, what we ended up seeing within that is that again, as it went through the different uh, anatomical body parts of the sacrifice and you compare that anatomically to humans, is what you start to notice, you go, wait a second, the parts that are given up to God, the parts that are just burned up, they're all part of our natural human defenses. It's a part that we rely on and some of us maybe don't even think about it to keep things functioning and going. And God says, I want you to take all of that and I want you to burn it to offer up to him the, the deepest parts. Again, the same thing for us. The, the, you know, There's so many who do morning devotions. I try and be disciplined in that, and, and I don't want to knock that. I think that's a good practice. I feel that ladies are really good at that. They've got their journals. They've got their Sunday mornings, and guys, it, it's a, it can be a bit of a struggle, but, and I don't want to knock this, but I, I want this to be made clear. God did not call you to do devotions. He's called you to be devoted. Do we go, okay, Fifteen minutes. I did my devotions, and now I have the rest of the day to myself. Or do we come before and go? I'm laying down the mess that is me. I'm I'm giving up the deepest parts of me, God, and I'm I'm laying them before you to say, you know what? No matter what's going on in my life, I can say I have peace because of you. And when we look at all those self-defense parts being burnt up as a sacrifice. We see again Christ being the ultimate fulfillment who told Peter as he's lopping people's ears off in a garden, Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know I could call down a legion of angels and wipe these guys out? That when they ask Jesus his name, who is it that you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And he looks them in the eye and says, I am he. And a whole army lies on their back. And Jesus leans in to ask again, Who was it that you were looking for? Jesus made it very clear to Pilate you are not the one who is putting me up on the cross. He says, no one can take my life. I lay it down and I can pick it up again. But Christ being the fulfillment of the peace offering, saying, I choose to not defend myself. As they mocked him on the cross and said, he saved others, let him try and save himself. And Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The fulfillment of the peace offering, not turning to self-defense, but sacrifice before the Lord. We looked at then uh, the sin offering. And again, the, the sin offering, and we see that in chapters four and five really connecting together uh, with the sin offering and then the trespass offering. But that sin offering was those, those unintentional sins. And again, and when we looked at that, this wasn't even, it's when we look at the word sin, and, and even in these first five, I really want to get this idea around ourselves. When you're looking at this system, And the word sin is appropriate, but you need to get out of your head the way we kind of think of it in New Testament. And think of it as like, well, I don't think it would be hard after this last year, contamination. Because there would be things that you could do that weren't morally wrong, like have a baby, like Mary did, and that would make you unclean. And so this isn't someone, the sin offering is not for, oh, you have done messed up and you better go make things right. This was, there are things that made you unclean. And we looked at this when we looked at the whole of Leviticus. God is not saying, get yourself cleaned up and then come before me. God is saying that you understand that there's a process by which you must go through. There's a process of the blood. You can come as you are, but to waltz in saying, no, I get to go to heaven however I want, God goes, now we have a problem. So the sin offering was to go, look, I know that you are holy. And I, and, and I know that, that in this world, things that, especially things that are attributed to the loss of life. A lot of these things you'll see they had to do when they're talking about the body, bodily fluids. And you can go, what is that all about? Is the idea of, as we've read from chapter 17, it is that there's life in the blood. And what God is saying is, I want you to be separate from anything that has the imagery of the loss of life. The losing of blood, the losing of certain of these things. And so the sin offering was just that. It was to come before and say, look, I have come in contamination with things. And so I need to be, uh, go through this process of decontamination. Now, we talked about, again, the word for atonement. You're going to see this uh, throughout the Old Testament, and it takes on a couple different phrases. And most of the time when you look at the word atonement throughout the Old Testament, it has to do with this word cover. Kovar, it has to do with cover. Interesting enough, that's not the way it's used in Leviticus. In Leviticus, it actually, and I, I, I can tell you, I cannot read Hebrew. I, I, I listen to guys who do. I, don't, I can't even read it. My wife for my, my birthday bought me a Bible that has it in Hebrew and a couple different versions. I was like, it looks awesome. I can't read it, so I'm very happy that there's an English right next to it. I go, okay, well, but it looks cool. But I can tell you, in Leviticus, the word for atonement, it takes on a slightly different form, which again, think of a contamination. It, it speaks of a sanitary process. The word atonement talks about wiping away. It's decontamination. is this whole idea that's going through this whole section and then you get to the trespass offering and we went through that really quick but trespass the trespass offering really should be called the offering of restitution or reconciliation this was God saying look you guys let's just be honest life is difficult we get together and we can sometimes of not intentional sometimes intentional we can do things that hurt or affect other people's lives in a negative way and God says look I care about the relationship in the family Go make restitution. So as when you maybe did something intentionally or not intentionally. Let's say you borrowed your neighbor's pot for something. Back in that day, it would be like, okay, I, I borrowed a clay pot, I'm making stew, and oh, I, a dead rat got into the pot. And don't worry about that. Well, just, guys, God knows it so well. God's going to make it clear where he's going to say, look, if you're going through your house and you find that a dead rodent has died in your pot, don't re-gift that to people throw it away, break it, get rid of it. But this was this idea of if, if you broke something of somebody else's, you weren't supposed to go, my bad, I didn't really mean to do it. God says, no, go make it right. And then he adds on that, don't just make it right because the truth is there's an inconvenience of having a loss of something. So you make restitution and then he says, add 20%. Add 20% value. That's what that was. And then you were to go before the Lord to go, hey, I've made things right And with all of that, those five sacrifices, we come to chapter 6. In chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person uh, sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor. And we're going to stop there, and and we're going to kind of go through these different chunks. But chapter 6, actually in the Hebrew Bible, actually even gets pulled into chapter 5. It gets broken up a little bit different. But So it's a continuation of the trespass offering. But here's the thing I wanted to make clear in all of that. When God is talking about when we sin against another person, it is a sin against God. When we trespass another person, it is a trespass against God. I want you guys to think about, remember Joseph. When Joseph is in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar has made him the head of the household, and his wife is going, hey, hey, young buck, you look good. Let's, let's get together. And he's like, I can't do that. He gets away. She waits till no one's in the house, pounces on him, sleep with me. And he goes, How could I do this thing against God? See, he loved his master, but he knew that going, look, it is a sin against God to hurt my brother, to hurt this man who has trusted me. He has trusted me with everything, including you. You're not mine to have, but he's trusted me to be around you. I can't sin against God and sinning against this man. And so again, to understand that even as Joe's talking about, to sin against a person, God says, no, that's my image bearer. You don't get to treat them that way. You don't get to treat them that way. Well, they don't think the way that I don't care. One of my favorite memes out there, there's this picture of of Jesus who says that, uh, I have come that all may have life. And it has another word bubble and it says, what about people with tattoos? And Jesus says, yes, even those who ask stupid questions. I love it. Because it's this idea that we can try and judge, and God says, you don't get to judge them that way. They are my image bearer, and you will treat them as such, and to sin against them is a sin against me. Even though Potiphar didn't have the same belief as Joseph, Joseph knew, no, that does not give me right to do that. See, then we can take another approach to this. We can have this idea of going, well, I didn't mean to do that thing. And In fact, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to ruin their stuff. Really, it's their problem, not mine. I didn't really sin against them. That's their problem. And yet Paul addresses this in the book of Corinthians. When in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the fact that we have amazing freedom in Christ. But a lot of us can use that freedom as kind of like an in-your-face to somebody else. Maybe you feel that you have, you know, different freedoms in Christ to to do certain things, be certain places. Maybe God has given you that freedom to do so. But He says, if you know that somebody struggles in that area, I think maybe I could, the quickest example I could give of something like that is: let's pick a television show that you watch. And now we can—I don't want to tangent and go into what we feed ourselves, and we can go into—but People like to judge different things by what people watch. And you go, well, maybe for you, you're like, look, I have freedom in Christ. My relationship with him is good. And I can watch this certain thing. I can watch this. Again, we could get into the debates about all those fun stuff. But you know that your brother or sister are in the same house, that when that content comes into their life, it wrecks them. It pulls them into a different place. Or when you're having your conversations and you're talking about a certain show, that somebody goes, oh, you watch that show? Well, you're a Christian and well, if you watch the show, it must be fine for me. And Paul's going, no, you don't understand that if somebody is weak in an area and you use your freedom in Christ to just throw it in their face, that is sin. And he goes, and that's not just sin against them. That's sin against me. He says in first Corinthians chapter eight, verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Look with me in Leviticus 6.5, and it says, again, speaking of this restitution, he shall restore its full value, add one-fifth to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering, and he shall bring his trespass to the Lord. Now, last week I mentioned how you'll see you throughout the, the, the law, that you don't really see, and as a general rule, you do not see any sort of sacrifice for an intentional sacrifice moral sin. Now, in in this chapter, this is an exception that proves the rule, because the greater rule is this. If you have an intentional moral sin, and there are no means of restitution, there is no sacrifice within the law that covers that. But this is one of those moments within this, is you have an intentional sin and a guilt and a means to restore. You have a means to restore that. Here's what, what I would say again. That The, the example we gave was adultery. You don't, ha- you don't accidentally commit adultery. No matter what someone tries to make you believe, it doesn't exist. You don't accidentally have an affair with somebody that's intentional. When you break that, there's no breaking that. There's no unbreaking that. Now, That is under this law system where God goes, there's no no sacrifice of bull and goat that's going to take care of that. That's why the book of Hebrews, again, to show the greatness of Christ to say the blood of sin and bulls and goats could not take sin away to once again highlight the amazing power of the cross and the fulfillment of of Jesus Christ is that when he says I've come to remove all the sin the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this isn't just a uh, you know sanitary wipe of 99.9% effective he says no this is 100% effective in removing the stain of sin and within this process even with here the, the trespass offering what we're getting to is understanding that he says even here that look if you're coming to, to do sacrifice and I want you guys to see the order. And there's been a breakdown between you and a brother in the family. Go make restitution, then bring the offering. That God says, look, if, if you're coming before me and you know that there's something off, if, if you and your brother have beef, go deal with the matter and then bring the trespass offering. This is exactly what actually Jesus is going to pick up when he's on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So the issue is the matter of the heart. I've said this a couple of times, but the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What God's saying is, don't come to church and, and play church where you're sitting on one side of the room singing praise while the other side you've got this person that you've got beef with and you guys are just you say no no don't don't play being family, be family. Go to that person, make restitution, reconcile. Guys again, it is how we treat each other. And it matters, and it should look completely different than the rest of the world. That is why Jesus would say in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When we get together on Sunday, guys, we are imperfect people. This thing we call church, it's a workshop. This is where we get together and we try and go, okay, who am I supposed to be for the rest of the week? Because that's hard. Well, we come here to open the word of God, to have him speak into our lives, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then put that into practice with one each other to take it outside, that when we come together, that we should love on each other so distinctly different than when someone from outside the family steps inside of this building and sees the family loving on each other. They go, well, that's got to be Jesus, because I know those people. That, that's not normal. This is like a Sunday thing. And you go, yeah, there's an amazing thing that happens on Sunday. Our hope and our desire is to make the Sunday thing all week. But let Sunday be where we come together and work that out. Be patient with one each other, forgiving of one another, loving on one another. Now again, as we move through the rest of these chapters um, and, and we look at the the offerings. It's, it's from a perspective of the, the priest's roles and responsibilities. And when you guys read through that, it's going to go into a lot of things of like who eats what. But here's the interesting thing again, completely contrast to the religions around them, is most of these offerings were meals providing sustenance for the priest and the offer. Not the other way around. These were not sacrifices where they were giving everything to bring and provide sustenance for the gods. no. This is one of those situations where they come together and completely different is they, they're actually, by bringing their sacrifice, being provided for. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and, and this would be kind of the linchpin of, of this entire 6 through 9. How does this apply to us? You're talking about the priests and their roles and responsibilities. We'll see 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, but you... You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador and a priest of his. And so as you look through these roles and responsibilities is to understand as we look through this, how we should reflect these very same attributes. And that's this sacrifice to God. It's where God created community while providing for physical needs, all centered around giving thanks and praise to the giver of all good things. That's what this system was pointing to, that Christ would be the ultimate fulfillment of. James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Look with me in Leviticus chapter uh, 6, verse 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offerings. The burnt offering shall be on the earth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Now, just for you guys who would like to take notes, I don't know how many, but this is an interesting moment. I like to point out sometimes when the first time a word is used, this is the first time the word Torah is used in the Torah. The, the first time you see this, and, and what's interesting is that when you look at the word Torah in Hebrew, is that this is, this, the Hebrew word means to aim and shoot. That's what the word Torah means, and it's action state. There's the noun, the law, but it's, it's, it's Hebrew word, this verb, it means to aim and shoot. Which is interesting because in the New Testament, the Greek is the word hamartia, and it's the Greek word for sin in the New Testament means to miss the mark. So the Old Testament Hebrew word for the law is to aim and shoot, and then you get to the New Testament, it says what is sin? It's to miss the mark. Anything less of that bullseye is sin. And Romans 3.23 makes it so clear to each and every one of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then we look there at Leviticus chapter six, verse ten. And it says, "The priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body." Now, if you're reading different versions, it, it's basically talking about he's going to put on his clothes and his underwear. And you, why is God bringing up priest underwear in in this section? As you guys remember, when we were in Exodus chapter twenty, verse twenty-five and twenty-six, it talked about that when they made a stone altar that they weren't supposed to make steps because. Well, they they didn't wear underwear. The average person wasn't walking around. He says, if you build steps and you're walking up and there's a gust of wind, whoo! everyone's going to see your business. God says, I don't want that happening. And the reason he was serious about that is because, again, he was drawing a completely distinct contrast to the world around them that actually used sexual and ritual nudity as, as, as a magical way to please and invoke power from their gods. And God is saying, I don't want us to look anything like that. Even if you don't intend to do that, I don't want you doing something that whether you intend to or not can end up resembling what these people are practicing. And again, we we think back to, to the golden calf and just how quickly they ran right into that ritualistic practice and again engaging in this ritualistic demonic worship and yet they refer to it as playing around. And again, as we as followers of Christ should in no way resemble those things that you want to call just playing around. God says, no, that's, that's demonic ritual practices and we should look nothing like that. And I know this sounds weird for us to say because well, wait, wait. didn't Christ uh, give me liberty and freedom? I, I, I refer back to the book of Corinthians that Paul talked about. But that yes, as a follower of Christ, it should impact everything. Everything we do, how we eat, how we dress, how we play, and all of that will focus on how we treat other people. Verse 13, chapter 6 says, A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Okay, I know we're going through the law, and talking about priest underwear could be getting a little weird. Old Testament does that awesome stuff. But just listen to that verse again. A fire shall always, verse 13, a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Keep the fire burning. Guys, that's relationship language. How many times do you hear, oh, the fire went out. We've got to keep the fire going. This is God again. Uh, just all this imagery, all of these things to pull us into his presence. And what he's saying, keep the fire. But I want that relationship hot. I want that relationship ongoing. Don't let the fire go out in this relationship. And in this relationship talk, you understand then what Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 15 when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, in verse 23 of John 14, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Guys, guilt and punishment and the law fails. I mean, ask anyone who knows the speed limit. The failure of the speed limit is the heart of the person who's going, "Eh, five miles more doesn't matter. You don't know how important my day is. Yes, I slept in 20 minutes, but I really got to get to work. The failure of the law is the heart of the person. So Jesus comes along and says, look, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Don't be motivated at a guilt or trying to earn my, my satisfaction. I've already satisfied that on the cross. It's at a response of love and gratitude. It's not saying that if you want to prove your love, do these No, he's saying, if you love me, this will happen. If you love me, if, again, if you're not doing devotions, but you're devoted, keep the fire going, Again, when you guys get in relationships and it comes to birthdays or anniversaries and your spouse says to you, oh, you didn't get me a card? I don't do that law stuff. I have freedom in Christ. See how well that goes. (laughs) I see you're not wearing your wedding ring. I have freedom in Christ. I don't need to be shackled by any imagery Good luck in that relationship or keep the fire going by saying, I proudly wear this ring to let everyone know that I'm married to the most amazing woman, the greatest gift in this entire world. That you do these things, not because you're like, well, I got to do these things to make the wife happy. No, because you go, I love this amazing person and I want to shower them and I want to do what I can to let them know every single day and to remind myself, I am a sore, pathetic loser without this amazing person in my life. And Jesus is saying, keep that fire going. It's, it's relationship talk. Motivated out of love and gratitude, not trying to check a list so that you can say, good, are you happy? Because I'm going to go do my own thing. It will always comes back to that relationship that he desires with us. Chapter 7. Again, uh, we're, the only thing I really want to point out in chapter 7 is look at verses 26 and 27 uh, towards the end. Leviticus 7, chapter 26 and 27 says, Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Again, this is God saying, we need to be completely different and separate from the world around us. And they're sitting there drinking blood and chewing on liver to try and suck out the power of life. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'm the giver of life. And understand even what that does in your view of people around you. If you're there to suck the blood and suck the life out of, that's what you're going to do to everyone around you. You will be the life suck of everyone around you because they are there to give you power. They're there to give you strength. Instead of when you go, no, Yahweh is the giver of life and sustaining power. And I turn to him for that. So I do this not out of some trying to be better than, but to realize that to engage in this is to look at someone as someone I can draw from. And God saying, no, no, no. I don't want you sucking the life out of people. All of this coming back to love God and love others. That is what the entire law is wrapped on. So we look at uh, chapter 8, Leviticus chapter eight, verse five through nine says, and Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Now Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water and he put the tunic on him and girded him with a sash, clothed him with the rope and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with an intricacy woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him and he put the urim and the thuman in the breastplate and he put the turban on his head, also the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Guys, there's something interesting that happens in Scripture again. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Well, when you get into the New Testament, and, and even, even throughout some of the Old Testament, whenever you, you read phrases about drinking water, it's really the imagery of taking in the Holy Spirit. Whenever you hear things about like being washed when you're being washed, it's actually the imagery of, of the word, the work of the word of God. For instance, like a father or not father, a husband to his wife in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty six, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And in first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear this verse 11 as you hear all of this, this entire list that people like to gravitate on and again start trying to pick out on everyone else's thing. But here's the beauty and the power of the cross. And such were some of you. Were that by the cross you are not defined as a practitioner of your sin. You were defined by the work of Jesus Christ. Why? It says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, to pour out by the word and wash us and sanctify us. And then as they're done doing the washing to be clothed, to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to be clothed, all of that imagery on the priest as you are what? You are royal priesthood. You are the holy nation washed by the word, Jesus Christ himself and clothed in his righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks." Himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, it says, to, to put off, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. And all of this imagery of this this high priest set apart and distinct, Hebrews comes along and says, all of this was pointing to Christ, the fulfillment of all of it. As in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 and 16 tells us, that seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Something completely foreign to the Jewish national of that day who looks at the the old system, all of it pointing to Christ, all of it pointing to his coming, and says, what do you mean come boldly? And they get to stand and go, yeah, Jesus is better. The blood of bull and goats could not do this, but now by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can come boldly before the throne, not because of who you are, but because you have been washed and clothed in his righteousness. As we end this morning, I want you guys to go to uh, Leviticus chapter nine, the very last couple of verses, starting in verse 22. Leviticus chapter nine, verse 22 through 24, it says, then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering on the fat of the altar. When all of the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This whole process of consecrating the priest. The blood placed on their ear and their toe as if to say the blood has covered you from head to toe. You are covered by the blood. And God pours out his presence in this fire and even this to understand when he talks about the relationship of fire, it is not something that you have to work to earn God's love. He provided the fire. He comes out through this whole procession and through obedience, pours out his fire, consumes it, and he says, keep that stoked up. Not out of trying to earn your fire come down. He says, I've already provided it. I provided the relationship. I provided the means. It's just throwing wood on of love to say, I want to make this hotter and stronger. I want this to keep on going. If you guys can real quick with me, turn to back to Leviticus chapter six. with All of this imagery, chapter six through nine, starting in verse 10. Leviticus chapter six, verse 10. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers, he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them aside or beside the altar. then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry out the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, it shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn it on the fat, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So when it came to dealing with the uncleanliness of the offering brought by the offerer, the priest to deal with the uncleanly ashes would take his priestly garments, take them off and set them aside and go deal with the uncleanliness. Again, he did not come. Jesus did not come to abolish the law to fulfill that. Because we read in John chapter 13. As Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross, he gets his disciples together and he tells them, I'm going to wash your feet. And it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but... My hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who was bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Christ, fulfilling all of this before going to the cross, took his garments and laid it aside to wash the feet of his disciples and to tell them, This thing that I'm doing, you guys need to do this for each other. Because All the law hangs on these two things. To love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That Christ did not come to abolish, but to completely fulfill. Each and every one of you needs to be washed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Apart from that, it is to stand before God and say, I don't care what you say. I want in on my own accord. And God says, we have an issue there. That's not possible. Because all have sinned and miss the mark. And like our high priest, let us act like him in everything we do. And again, guys, when we get together on Sunday, let's practice this. People always complain about, well, why are we two people? We're one person on Sunday and we're one person the rest of the week. If for some reason we've got in our head, then I'll start acting on Sunday like I do the rest of the week. Instead of flipping that around, instead of going on Sunday, I come to practice to be the best version of who I am, someone who has been washed by Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness, and loving on each other in that way. And as we practice that here on Sunday, let us take that out for the rest of the week. Guys, that's what it is to be the church, that royal priesthood. It is to be a community centered on God, our provider and savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. And Father, I just pray in this challenge that as we come together that we would approach each other uh, with that love and compassion that you come with us. That God, that our lives would be centered around you, not ourselves. That we wouldn't make idols out of ourselves and seek our own desires, our own pleasure. But Lord, realize that there is no pleasure apart from you. There is no peace apart from you. There is no satisfaction apart from you. you are the giver of all good things. Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like a shifting shadow. Father, will we hold fast to the confession of our faith that we could come boldly before your throne as you have made that possible by your son and his blood. In your son's name, amen.
1: The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in A Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at suck 797 My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.